From Innovation Alley at Marquette University, I'm Chuck Swoboda, and this is Innovators on Tap, a show based on the idea that innovation is about leadership. It's a mindset to find a better way, and ultimately, it's about people. These conversations are designed to allow you to open your mind to new ideas and find ways to put those concepts to work. Together, we can solve big problems and maybe even change the world. The podcast is sponsored by City Lights Brewing Company, an award-winning brewery and taproom set in the historic Milwaukee Gas Company buildings right on the banks of the Menominee River. As you know, I'm a home brewer and an investor in another brewery, which gives me a little more insight than the average beer drinker. I was impressed by the quality of the team and more importantly, their selection of innovative craft beers. You can enjoy a pint in the taproom overlooking the brew house or take in some fresh air in the relaxing beer garden set on the river. They also have a great beer-inspired food menu. Please visit citylightsbrewing.com for more details. The entrepreneurial ecosystem has changed a lot since I joined Cree in 1993. We now have university programs dedicated to innovation and entrepreneurship, and local business incubators and accelerators to help startups succeed. When they started Cree, you were pretty much on your own to figure it out. And if you couldn't, you failed. A bit Darwinian, but effective nonetheless. I think these new programs have a lot to offer, but I wonder if we might have missed something. With all the focus on helping entrepreneurs succeed, are we limiting their exposure to failure that is critical to developing resiliency and the will to overcome whatever obstacles might get in their way? On today's episode, we explore this concept with John Bowman, Professor of Marketing and Innovation at NC State, and Rachel Melanie, the Program Director for Riot. Both John and Rachel are key players in shaping the next generation of entrepreneurs in the triangle. We discuss if we're doing enough to teach an innovator's mindset, what the next iteration of an incubator or product innovation class might look like, and the growth of the research triangle over the past decade. J.K. Rowling said, it is impossible to live without failing at something unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all, in which case you fail by default. Please note that this episode was recorded at HQ Raleigh in North Carolina. That's what's on tap today. Enjoy. So uh, welcome and thank you for joining me on Innovators on Tap. Um, Today we're at HQ Raleigh, which was started in 2012 to provide an entrepreneurial co-working space that could connect emerging problem solvers with the resources to help them grow and deepen their impact. The HQ concept has now expanded across the state to include locations in Greensboro, Wilmington, and Charlotte. So, Rachel and John, welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Yeah. You know, you both are integral parts of what I would call the kind of the innovation ecosystem here in the Triangle. Um, so what I want to do is start by letting everyone get a little insight into kind of what you guys are doing today. So maybe, Rachel, we'll start with you. Um, can you give us a little bit of an overview of what is Riot and what's your role there? Yeah, Great. So Riot is an economic development nonprofit, and we are focused on sector growth in the Internet of Things. So as we kind of see technology move from just the Internet to driven by data, um, how can we better facilitate jobs being created in that sector, companies growing, um, businesses that already exist? How do they take advantage of the new business opportunities that IoT presents? So uh, we do a couple things to kind of spur job creation and company growth in the region. 
Um, one of those things is we run events. So we convene folks around IoT, create business development opportunities, um, educate people around the data economy. Um, and then we also run a startup accelerator. So that is my specific role with Riot. I'm the director of that program. And that is a 12-week intensive program for early stage IoT companies. And we really just focus on wrapping a ton of resources and support around these teams to help them grow successful IoT ventures. So, John, uh, I know you do a lot of different things at NC State, but the thing I'm most familiar with is the Product Innovation Lab. Can you give us just kind of a quick overview of what that lab does and what you're trying to accomplish with the students there? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a graduate course that's been going on for well over 20 years now. Uh, we have uh, what I call the trifecta. So we have graduate students from College of Engineering. Uh, we have College of Design uh, graduate students in their master's in industrial uh, design. And we have MBA students. And we form teams, get them to work on uh, real projects, or real world projects, if you will. So it's very much a hands-on project course. They got to get down into voice of the customer research. They have to prototype. They have to get the soldering gun out or in, in the old days, that's what they would do right now. We got Arduino boards and fun stuff like that. And, um, and really kind of make a, a value based business case for it as well. And I think the most important thing, uh, from my perspective is really the multidisciplinary aspect of it. So, you know, you can get a group of MBA students and do some stuff. You can get a group of engineers and do other stuff. But really when you have all three of those together, uh, MBAs, engineering and, and design, I think that's really where you're giving yourself the best shot at uh, effectively innovating. So, you know, you, you bring up an interesting topic, which is this idea of multidisciplinary. And it reminds me of uh, something I've learned in talking to other entrepreneurs uh, through the podcast. And that is so often that some of their best ideas come when they apply concepts from across the domains. And so a couple of questions come to mind. Maybe the first one is, you know, Rachel, you have an interesting background. I think you're in the uh, startup business, but you started out in journalism and communication. So how do you think coming from that world into the startup world has has helped you with that idea? Yeah, great question. So, yeah, my, my degree is in journalism from UNC Chapel Hill. How we storytell and, and message what we do is core to any job that you have. For entrepreneurs, they need to be able to ask the right questions to tease out what problems their potential customers are experiencing. Um, I think that's a discipline that journalism really teaches. Um, and then once you come across a problem, you have to understand um, you know, how to articulate a solution and um, how to tell the story around what you're doing. And, um, and of course, you have to find that problem solution fit and eventually that product market fit. Uh, but then the storytelling that journalism kind of teaches is so important as you begin to market your business um, that plays into how you might fundraise or or sell yourself um, and so I think that storytelling that comes from journalism is a thread that's so necessary for entrepreneurs to learn um, so that was one perspective that I, I took from my undergrad another interesting kind of interdisciplinary experience that I've had is previous to riot I worked at Duke University with Dan Ariely's behavioral science lab and that was uh, bringing behavioral science researchers together with entrepreneurs that were pursuing finance and health related startup concepts so talk about taking two different audiences and trying to get them to work together but um, such awesome stuff comes out of that so you have 
these academics that um, take a very methodical research approach um, and entrepreneurs who often just like throw things at a wall until something sticks. And um, and so a lot of that work there was, you know, how can experimentation facilitate and better inform business development? And um, how do you kind of teach entrepreneurs to leverage uh, what we know from behavioral science and then also the experimentation related to um, learning more about behavioral science um, into developing their products. So I'm curious. So behavioral science, the, uh, I mean, I read a bit about Dan's lab. My understanding the lab was, was really looking at something called the hindsight bias. What is that? And what is it that gets in the way? Because my guess is that bias exists beyond the lab and applies to things we're doing elsewhere. So absolutely. Yeah. The so the Center for Advanced Hindsight is the the name of the lab. That's kind of a cheeky, <laughs> cheeky way to um, talk about just all the biases that humans come to the table with. Um, so a lot of what we did at the lab was, um, you know, look at all of these kind of named biases that the field of behavioral science has uncovered about how people think and make decisions. Um, and then we were working to apply those insights to real world products and processes, um, particularly in the fields of health and finance. Um, so the idea is that we all know what's good for us. We know that eating healthy is great, exercising is great, saving for retirement is great, but we don't often follow through on those those healthy behaviors. Um, so we were looking at these biases um, that humans inherently have, and then how do you uh, intervene with those biases or help people to overcome those biases so that they can make better decisions for themselves. Um, so we were taking that kind of body of knowledge and saying, hey, entrepreneurs who are creating new solutions for humans, uh, you're going to have to understand how your customer thinks and makes decisions um, and how to help them to make decisions that are in their best interests. Um, so it was all about how do we design products to better facilitate uh, really helping humans to get out of their own way. In my work, one of the things I discovered was that when it comes to doing something really new and really innovative, it's very hard to ask the customer. And as I like to say, is they can't describe something they've never experienced or knew was possible. So how do you take that, that idea and how do you get people past that, whether it be the work you do in the product innovation lab or even some of the stuff you see, whether here at Riot or in, in your work at Duke, right. how do you get people past this idea that they just can't go ask? Right. And that's challenging sometimes, especially for MBA students who just love doing surveys and you know <laughs> things like that. Um, I think it's, it's really get them part of it, uh, I would say is really get them focused, um, what I sometimes say is the, the micro level, at the level of the individual, right? So really get down deep and understand exactly what is the nature of the problems that they're experiencing and, and why is there still a gap? Why are the solutions that they're trying? Uh, a lot of times a uh, consumer will uh, adapt a product or develop workarounds, if you will. It's like, well, that's good enough. You know, I kind of figured it out and I can tolerate it. Um, but really try to engage uh, consumers or potential customers at the level where you can see that happening and then understand the, the, the crux of those problems or the origin of some of those problems and then kind of use that as a starting point in an iterative fashion. We stress iteration quite a bit mm -hmm. uh, to really figure out what it is that you could potentially do about it. 
Rachel, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, yeah. I think John is exactly right. It's about getting to the level where you're talking to just the individual person in front of you about their worldview. Um, with entrepreneurs, we often see that we have to coach them out of this tendency to talk about their solution or <laughs> their ideas for solutions and and just focus on the problem first and foremost. Um, so taking that kind of gut reaction out of the equation um, is really important. And um, and even further, you know, we see entrepreneurs often get really bogged down with their own confirmation biases. So another kind of natural human tendency is to, um, you know, think that our idea is a great idea and we're just going to keep going down that path. Um, so helping uh, students and, and entrepreneurs to just relearn ways to take a step back and just be an observer of the world first um, and, and really understand the problems that are existing. Uh, that's the starting point. And I think um, John's point about iteration too is really great. It's it's a constant process of engaging with individuals and markets to understand how you're solving the problem. One of the things I learned in, in doing leadership development is that oftentimes the best way to get someone to change is to have them or create a crisis for them. Mm. And so how do you think about how do we how do we do that for someone, right? Because it, it, look, us in college, it, it, while it, it's a class, it's a relatively safe environment. And, you know, Rachel, maybe with some of the entrepreneurs, it's a little riskier because they're betting their companies. But how do we, you know, behavior changes is difficult. And so I guess I'm curious, any tricks or ideas you've come up with that you think can kind of raise that level of getting someone to really see the gap? Yeah, it, it's hard when someone is, you know, quit their job to <laughs> pursue something. And, uh, and and of course, my, uh, you know, I bring my own biases to the table as someone that facilitates programs for entrepreneurs. I want them to be successful. Um, but I think oftentimes maybe what's better for entrepreneurs is, is getting them to that point of failure faster or creating maybe scenarios in which um, they can fail and that's okay and that's even celebrate it and, and they can learn from that and move on. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, part of that is, is probably a kind of cultural uh, need where we need to uh, recognize failure in a different way than, than we often do. You know, sometimes big corporate companies are kind of infamous for um, not letting their employees fail and experience that. And uh, but that's a really important learning process, right? And um, and oftentimes, the quicker that we can get to failure, the better. So one of the challenges as we were building Cree was we were hiring a lot of people to help us on this innovation journey. And so the interview process was oftentimes, how can I gauge or judge whether this person can be successful here? And I didn't know the right answer about how much was learned or was inherent. What I was looking for is people I thought were at least more likely to succeed than not. And so what I would ask many of the interview candidates, and didn't matter what job is, we'd be sitting there and at some point I'd just say, so how many barbers are there in the city of New York? And they'd look at me and I'd say, I need you to tell me how you'd figure it out. And having a, a marker and go up to the whiteboard and let's see what happens. And what I found is how they reacted in that moment gave me a clue as to something about their makeup and their wiring that if they got stuck, it didn't mean they weren't really smart or talented in other ways, but that's kind of like what it feels like to pursue innovation. Things go wrong kind of every day. And if you're able to react, and so 
That's a long-winded way to bring me to the question, which is, can we really teach that dynamic? Or is there something that is part of how the person grew up or was raised or something about them that makes them more likely to succeed? I'm just curious. You both get to see this on a regular basis. And I wasn't trying to teach it. I was just trying to increase my chance of success. But I'm curious, given your work on the behavioral science side and you've seen plenty of students, is it teachable? Yeah, I, th- I think so, because, you know, there's there's a lot of smart people that fail and a lot of people that, you know, eschewed or got away from, you know, traditional schooling or university or whatever and succeeded greatly and so on. So I, th- I think it's like you're saying, the, the, the approach. And I think there are ways to kind of help individuals kind of discover that, discover how to be more innovative or quote unquote creative. Um, and, and I think that's over the years, one of the great experiences that I've gotten out of this uh, course, this product innovation lab, is that I've, I've learned so much from uh, design and designers and some great design faculty. And they have all kinds of ways of, of kind of teasing these things out in the creative process of what it is that designers or industrial designers do. Just one uh, example is uh, imposing constraints. So you just impose on yourself or impose on the direction that your design or innovation is going some kind of a, you know, artificial constraint, you know, what if your business model got regulated out of existence tomorrow, what would you do? You know, and then you, you play with that and you see where, see where it goes, or it doesn't have to be something that dramatic, but you know, suppose you had to reduce the size of this in half, you know, what would your design look like? Or, you know, what, whatever it is. And, and just is, it's almost like calculus I, is how I think of it. You just practice, 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 right? You do things differently. I mean, I, I know some, design students that I've uh, encountered over the years, they've had advisors um, that instruct them, you know, when you walk to school in the morning, take a different route every day. It's like, well, that's like crazy nuts, right? It's like, I want to be efficient and get there as quickly as I can. Or what? It's like, no, but it's just kind of, you know, being able to observe new things and understand the context and the surroundings um, and uh, letting that kind of inform the, the insights that you're uh, accumulating uh, through those kinds of experiences, letting that inform how you approach different problems or, or solutions. So, Rachel, when they get to you, right, so you yeah. now you have entrepreneurs, right? They're betting their jobs and their careers and, and things. How flexible are they to adapt at that point? Yeah, So I I like what John said earlier about working the problem, this idea that you have something in front of you and you just need to figure out, you know, how you can lead yourself to go down all the different paths towards a solution. Um, I think, of course, there are entrepreneurs that I work with that are more naturally good at that, just taking an obstacle or a problem that they're encountering and and just working all the different angles of it until they find something that might work. you know, like John, I like to think that there's uh, an ability for us to teach that skill a bit. And, um, and that's where I think mentorship really comes in. So the more, um, you know, varied voices that these entrepreneurs can um, have pouring into the problem that they are working on, um, I think that helps to exercise that muscle of working the problem and looking at things from a different angle and just pursuing different paths until something clicks. Um, but yeah, I mean, do I think that the, the entrepreneurs that do have a, the better natural tendency to, to be able to work a problem, um, are more successful? Like maybe so. <laughs> well, and, and this is not, to, this is not a shot at, at higher ed, but there's a lot of very successful dropouts 
uh, when sure. it comes to entrepreneur. And, and I mm-hmm. think there's something they're saying about their wiring. And in the wiring is maybe the wrong word, but I think they have some inherent beliefs or biases that make them, one, not really good at following a traditional path that make them actually really good then at taking on some of these challenges. And so, you know, I'm always curious about, like, I absolutely believe that people can learn and get better at this. But I also think that everyone comes in with a set of biases and, and the starting point and the likelihood to getting to success. I think being honest about thinking about that, I think a lot more people would end up in a good place if we kind of had that honest feedback, which brings me to my next question, which is, I know that feedback's an important part of this process for both of you. And uh, at Cree, we had this concept called the brutal truths, which was, we're going to say exactly what's on our mind and deal with the facts. How do you get, whether it be a student or an entrepreneur, to really embrace this idea of critical, brutal feedback? When I would say that most people are trained, especially in the corporate world, to never say what they're really thinking. And probably not in academia either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quite possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I my shorthand is just the, the question why, right? And I and I tell my students like if I'm grading a case or something like that, the the more I write I the more I write down on your paper, why question mark the lower your grade, because what you've done is raised questions as opposed to addressing the issue or justifying the issue. You know, why should I agree with you? But it's like all communication is persuasive, right? And Rachel knows this, you know, a lot better than, than I do certainly. And, and just, you know, working through that, you know, have I put the case out there? Have I addressed objections or potential objections, you know, in, in, in some way? Um, and, and I think another piece of it kind of gets back to Rachel's earlier point is uh, the idea of synthesis, I think. So Steve Jobs, you know, one of his kind of famous quotes, I guess, is that innovation is really all about synthesis. So it's just taking these different things and putting them together or see what it would be like if you put them together. And there's lots of examples of great innovation, not necessarily high tech innovation or, you know, gee whiz bang type of innovation, but innovations that really do add value and change economies. That's a, a, I shouldn't say simple, but it's an elegant exercise in, in synthesis, I think, just bringing different things together. Yeah, I think we could probably dive even deeper into this philosophical discussion around, like, uh, do you have a founder that's naturally good at working a problem? Or, you know, do you have a founder that is naturally good at kind of taking that critical feedback and um, if so, are they more likely to be successful? Probably so. Um, so how do we how do we teach that? Um, I, I think that's one of the great benefits of accelerator programs is it provides these intense environments where um, an entrepreneur is introduced to a ton of different voices and perspectives and areas of expertise. Um, but it's kind of a like you're developing your startup concept with the training wheels on. So it's a safe, supportive environment. You know, all of the people that we put in front of these entrepreneurs are um, invested in their success and want to help them. But it provides a bit of this um, kind of whirlwind of feedback and criticism. And an entrepreneur has to learn very quickly to take that in, listen to it, and then figure out how to synthesize it, figure out what to do with that feedback. Um, so I think, uh, you know, programs like John's and like mine, um, do provide an environment where, um, just that pure exposure to a lot of different feedback, uh, maybe helps to train 
entrepreneurs or potential entrepreneurs to handle that better. But um, it, yeah, that's it's a challenge. So, you know, as, as part of the Cree experience for over 25 years, I saw us go from this really little company to something much bigger. And you know, we didn't have access to incubators and no one had an MBA. And, you know, it was we figured it out as we went along. And as I meet lots of entrepreneurs, there's a lot of people that that experience of being thrust into something and just having to figure it out to survive, it was a critical part of who they became. And so I wonder, and I'm thinking out loud here, the stuff we do to try to help people, to give them a safe place to learn, to it's okay to learn to fail here. I get that intellectually, but part of me wonders is, isn't it inherently taking away the thing they need to learn most, which is how to survive? Mm -hmm, In other yeah. words, have we, by trying to help, are we almost creating a false sense of security that actually doesn't force them to learn what we need? Any reaction to that? That's a really great point. Yeah. <laughs> are you taking away the like necessity to just like make it happen or, or not? <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, you know, at, at the university level, we have obviously, you know, grades and, and, you know, things like that. But you can, I, I think within say a project course, um, you know, just because their survival is not at stake, you can still put, you know, very real, uh, constraints, if you will, uh, and you know, time being one of them, right? So in our product innovation lab, they have one semester to do some great work, and the time crunch is, you know, amazing. And you know, students time to time just, you know, skate, if you will, or um, uh, you know, what 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 boxes do I have to check to get a, to get a passing grade and stuff like that, and uh, but you know, they're, they're working on this as, as a team, right? And we tell them this, like, you're all in this together, like it or not. And because it's a multidisciplinary perspective, there's always going to be some, uh, abrasion or friction because designers don't think like MBAs and don't think like engineers. Thank, thank goodness for that. I think if you're going to be effective at innovators, but you have to learn how to, how to bring those different perspectives together, uh, within the, constraints that we may put on them such as time pressure and grade pressure and reporting out you know you got to tell me in two weeks what's great about your 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 solution or your potential solution and, and how are you going to uh, try to bring it to fruition so there, there's certain things that you can do uh, and even if they're somewhat quote artificial um, like okay I know it's a semester course okay great you know that doesn't make it less uh, real to them in terms of just putting on some pressure and kind of forcing them to think through the problem and address mm -hmm. it. Yeah, there's still some risk. And, and I think the same is with uh, accelerator programs. Like, these startups do still have two scenarios. Do they survive or do they fail? And so that is still a, a real risk and um, a real possibility that they will fail. And so I think the hypothesis of accelerators is, um, you know, perhaps if we provide these environments that maybe are more safe and supportive for a time, um, you know, that level of, of community and mentorship and resources that are put in front of them are hopefully more likely to help them to succeed. Um, they're still up against that risk and they still have to have their own drive to pursue a successful venture. And, um, and a part of that is managing the resources and the mentorship of an accelerator program well in order to do that. So if you're doing it on your own, you really are wondering, 
where you're going to find the resource and you're making critical choices every moment of every day to just to stay alive. Imagine if we took your course and we took the most talented people and we failed them on purpose. Really push them to a level where they give them a crisis that is not a classroom crisis, but a real one or an entrepreneur where we, because my, my theory is, is that the ones that are most, it's look, we can give people all the tools we want. It's still a low probability of success, right? This is not, I don't think anyone thinks we're going to get a hundred percent training entrepreneurs. So the question is, would we be better off taking the ones that had the most innate talent and pushing them so hard that we almost created failure because that would actually push them to really get there knowing that we're going to leave, let's call it two thirds along the way that won't get there. But at the end of the day, we may accomplish more by taking this more extreme because it, it's replicating what it's going to take anyways. And I, I don't know if this is, I'm sure there's many people that I'm making nervous in higher ed or in the, in the, in the incubator business model with this idea, but it just, if we really think about the behaviors we're talking about, it just I wonder if there isn't a level we could go that's maybe an extreme that would make people uncomfortable, but more successful. Yeah, that's a fair point, I think. Um, I mean, yeah, can you simulate an environment that pushes people so hard that they fail and the, and the ones that can overcome that are likely the more successful entrepreneur types? Um, I, I still think that's an interesting concept because it is like, can we condense this uh this like failure scenario and and that really is what it takes to run a company is you have to be able to experience that overcome it and and keep going um but i think you know regardless of if we're creating that intensive an environment or or not or you know running a class like john's or you know doing something like my accelerator program um that's maybe not pushing to that point of failure you're still creating smart people. I think they have something to learn from the process regardless of if they get to a point of failure. And, um, and I mean, I, I think we could even go so far as to say an accelerator program like ours that is, you know, hoping to churn out successful startups, statistically, many of them will fail and that's okay. We, it's, you know, in some ways it's workforce development. You're, you're, you're building up talent that is still going to be valuable in other parts of the economy. Um, so not everyone has to be or needs to be an entrepreneur. Um, but at a minimum, we need to create good problem solvers. What I'm trying to understand is, you know, there's, there's a lot of work I know you did at Duke around, you know, being more vigorous about testing ideas and experimenting instead of just relying on intuition. Yet I look at some of the great entrepreneurs and there's a bit of intuition involved. I would say mm -hmm. that, you know, it'd be hard to claim that Steve Jobs and maybe not intuition. It's probably, John, what you said, synthesis. So to me, Steve Jobs was a great synthesizer, but he wasn't doing it in any formal testing approach, right? At least in, in many. So I worry that we have these incredible tools, but we people immediately want to go use the tool and they forget that there's something else there. And, and so how do we get people to realize that this synthesis piece, this thinking piece, this ideation piece, it really comes first mm -hmm. and that testing complements it, but it doesn't replace it. Because what I see happening is people replacing it. Mm -hmm. Well, everyone wants a process to follow. They just want to know what step A through you know Z is and, and follow that and that equals success. And that's not true. There's this X factor of, yeah, you have to be good at ideating and synthesizing. And 
Um, yeah, I, I that probably gets back to this kind of question that's popped up in this conversation a lot around like what are the kind of inherent qualities of a great entrepreneur that we haven't been able to quite name or teach yet, and um, and are these do they have these inherent X factors that are you know the ones that are just going to build successful companies, whereas other people don't have that X factor? I don't know. Yeah, no, that's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I th- I think it's it part of it gets back to that failure and and learning perspective, right? And that's you know that's kind of the perspective you're you're thinking about at at some level. Um, and and again, part of it from my perspective in terms of how we try to approach it in the course, for example, it's like, okay, when you, when you say prototype it, this is what it means, right? Same thing with test, right? So a, a test is not a thumbs up, thumbs down, confirmation, disconfirmation. It's, it's a learning exercise, right? So in that sense, maybe experiment is a better word for it. Who knows? Um, but, but a, a, a test or a prototype is meant to help you learn something that you didn't know to go to the next step and, progress your solution uh, toward a better place, right? And so it's not a gladiator, thumbs up, thumbs down. It could be a failure. It could be learning. It could be we're going in the wrong direction. It could, you know, it could be any of those things. So, uh, you know, is that a trying to help the students get over a language barrier barrier? It's like, oh, well, a test is, you know, is either correct or incorrect. And it's, well, no, (laughs) I mean, it's not. Yeah, but we've spent their whole life to that point telling them it is. Right. Well, and that gets back to your earlier, you know, what's what could we do better in the, say, the university setting to help these things along? And I think it's, uh, you know, one, one way to think of it is you know, divergent versus convergent thinking. And so almost all of our MBA program, for example, is convergent thinking. You got five options, which one is the best or the most justifiable, but you need that divergent ideation, test fail. Oh, I used the word test again. Sorry. Um, <laughs> and you know, iteration and, and, you know, learning and, and thinking outside the box and all that kind of stuff. We need to give them more of those kinds of experiences. I think what I'm, where I'm going here is so much of what I've focused on is that the world wants process. It's easy to teach process. It's easy to write a book about process, but from every innovator I've had a chance to meet and successful entrepreneur, there's something about how they think that's different. And I think it is learned, but I'm not sure it's learned through a process. And so what I'm curious about is how do we maybe think about giving people different experiences or teaching them? The words I like to use is, you know, your, your behavior is a function of whatever you believe. And we know that people's beliefs are fairly well locked in by their mid-20s. That's what psychologists tell us. So if we have someone that's coming in who's mid-30s, maybe coming back for their MBA later in their career or wants to be an entrepreneur after working in industry for 10 years, the process that they need to learn, I would argue, is secondary to these beliefs that have already been put in their mind that we have to undo. And I don't see any of us today doing development around belief rework. I mean, I think that's what inherently that's what leadership development is. That's really what you're getting at. But we don't think about that in the entrepreneurial innovation space. And so that's, I'm just curious to me, this, how could we go about teaching almost a mindset to people? You know, you're you're talking about thinking process is the thing that we need to be teaching. And maybe it's about how do you teach someone to collect data 
hear things, listen to things, take their own, you know, ego and biases out of the picture. And then how do you synthesize? I think that's one thing that I see entrepreneurs have uh, a lot of challenges with is, okay, I've got all this information in front of me now. How do I synthesize it and make decisions based off of it? Um, and I think when we when we talk about collecting data or information gathering, synthesizing it, and then figuring out what the, you know, quote unquote, right thing to act on is, or, um, you know, what direction do you go from there? Maybe that's the kind of thinking process we need to figure out how to teach rather than an innovation process that has certain steps that you go through. In my mind, it's the, instead of teaching them what to think, we need to teach them how to think. Right. Mm -hmm. Which I think we struggle with because it's a lot more like philosophy than oh, yeah. it is engineering. That's hard work. Yeah. <laughs> it's, hard, it's harder to teach too. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's not process skills or toolkit skills, although, you know, you want stuff to be in your toolkit toolkit but you know maybe it's mindset skills so how are we teaching the mindset skills of how do you approach a problem how do you think through a problem uh, for you know and and we do some of that you know uh whether it's creativity aspects or communication aspects or whatever it may be but we probably don't do enough of it so we've come a long way in raleigh in my 26 years living here as a technology community as an entrepreneurial community i mean we've come a long way obviously lots of work ahead of us what would you if you guys had one thing we need to do better over the next five years here in the triangle what would it be to accelerate the work we've already been doing yeah so i first of all i agree we've come a long way i mean i was born and raised in durham went to school at unc i've stayed in raleigh so i've i've seen the triangle start to grow up and really stayed around here because of the awesome work that's happening in the startup ecosystem um but yeah we have a long way to go i think we have a lot of the ingredients here of course this is kind of riots stake in the ground as we have the ingredients here to be the center of excellence in iot and in a lot of ways i think we already are but we need to keep spurring that momentum um i think what we need in the next five years is uh, we need some of those big companies to grow up and we need to see some success stories here. And then we need to see those successful founders reinvest in the community. I think that's kind of the next stage for Raleigh is, you know, you see Pendo, um, you know, becoming this unicorn company and that's fantastic. We need, we need more of those. And then we need the Pendos of of the area to turn around and, you know, support the entrepreneurs that are, are working on the ground floor. Um, so more of that kind of turnover, I think will create a churn, um, that just continues to uh, build things up in this area. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking of, uh, from my perspective, the university a a approach or, or participation in that. Um, and it's, it really is a, a great thing about NC state where there's been a lot of uh, collaboration in the entrepreneurial space and the innovation space with different companies, big, small, and, and, and in between. So at, at some level, I guess it's, you know, how, how do we do that more and better? And, and part of it's, you know, money, right. Or incentives or prizes or, you know, what have you for, uh, collaborative or innovative efforts that, that students may be, uh, engaged with and, and faculty too. Um, you know, we have, uh, any number of things that, that go through our technology transfer office, for example, and, and how that, uh, connects with, uh, the entrepreneurial community here in, in Raleigh, uh, for example. Um, but how do we get that, um, you know, not just the networking and that's always to me been an exciting thing of, uh, involving 
you know, my courses and my students with, with Riot, with Rachel and Tom Snyder, who's the executive director and, and, and the whole team. Um, but with, with the, with the companies as, as well, and whether it's a, a project with a startup company, uh, or whether it's just the opportunity to, to, to mentor or let them grow that, that network that they have, um, how do we give students the permission to do those kinds of outside things without feeling like they're skipping out on class or getting in, you know, in over their head or what have you? So how, how do we do a better job of not only encouraging that, but really uh, making sure that students take advantage of all those opportunities that exist here? Well, this has been awesome. I want to thank you both. Um, I think the work you're doing, whether it be at NC State or here at Riot or at the stuff that happens here at HQ Raleigh, I'm, you know, I'm really proud to be able to say I think about the triangle and and people come to visit and go, wow, how do we do this somewhere else? So I think it's good for us to be our own critics, but I also we should recognize that a lot of the hard work over the last 20 years is, is working, right? And uh, it doesn't mean we should ever give up or pat ourselves, we don't need to pat ourselves on the back, but we just need to realize we need to keep going because... Uh, it really is a way to transform what was a place that it wasn't that long ago that the triangle was a pretty sleepy place. And, uh, you know, we not only have a group developed great companies, but it's, it's changed a lot of people's lives in a good way. And, uh, I'm just so excited to see what's coming here in the future. So thank you for all the work you're doing and, uh, thanks for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you. I want to thank John and Rachel for joining me on Innovators on Tap and exploring the ways we teach innovation and entrepreneurship. My hope is that this episode makes you critically examine your exposure to failure. Failure is never the intended outcome, but if you are always succeeding or supported every step of the way, you are likely not developing the skills necessary to succeed in the long run. Being forced to take on really hard challenges is critical to developing resiliency and an innovator's mindset. If you found value in this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you know someone who might be interested, please share the podcast. Our goal is to enable an entire new generation of innovators and leaders, and exposing more people to the conversations happening on this podcast will help us do just that. We are always open to critical feedback. My belief as an innovator is anything you do today can be done better tomorrow. Let us know if there is a guest you'd like us to have on the podcast or an innovation topic you'd like us to take on. Thanks for joining us on this journey. Let's go change the world.